Eight to ten-year-olds, you're dismissed to your class. You see, you're doing it. You don't even need me anymore. All right. All right. <laughs> Josh said they're running away. Yeah. <laughs> Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Welcome to those of you visiting with us. We're in a study through the book of 1 Samuel, and today we come to chapter 3. Uh, your worship guide says chapter 3 through verse, uh, chapter 4 verse 1a. That's the Bible nerd way of saying first part of chapter 4 verse 1. Uh, so you'll see how that fits into the rest of chapter 3. I've entitled this message, God's Gracious Word, and I'll read it as we go through it and explain it. Um, a lot of people will mark the start of the Protestant Reformation with the date 1517, the date that Luther nailed his 95 theses to the, that uh, door at Wittenberg. Really, you could say that the seeds of the Reformation were sown about 150 years before with a man named John Wycliffe. Some of you know the name John Wycliffe, an Englishman and a man from Oxford who was a rather bold man. He publicly criticized the Roman Catholic Church, which is not something that many people did in that day and age. He criticized them for a number of things. One of his great criticisms was the fact that uh, the liturgy of the Catholic Church, the teaching of the Catholic Church was done in Latin to where most of the people couldn't understand, and the Word of God wasn't available to the people of God. This is a problem if you're propagating a religion that's corrupted, because if people look at the Word of God, they'll see the corruptions in that religion. And so, John Wycliffe was really one of the great enemies of that church in that day, the Roman Catholic Church. John Wycliffe went on to take this responsibility of getting the Word of God into the people's own language. He took that responsibility into his own hands. Uh, before the printing press existed, he found a number of people to help him translate the Scriptures into English. John Wycliffe is a hero to us, a hero in the faith. His belief was that if the people had the Word of God, they could be matured and they could understand God better, which is true. The Roman Catholic Church thought that if people had the Word of God, they would twist it for their own means, which is kind of also true, <laughs> but we'll take that risk. <laughs> Because if we have the Word of God, we can respond rightly to the Word of God and know the God of the Word better. And so Wycliffe saw to it that the Word of God was translated in English. He was actually executed for this. Um, years later, he was still so hated for doing this that his body was dug up and his bones were burned and thrown into the river because the thinking of the church at that time was that if your bones were burned, there was no resurrection possible for you. So they really hated this man for giving us this in our own language. Luther, 150 years later, about 150 years later, commented on what made the Reformation so successful. And he doesn't connect it to a man. He doesn't connect it to even himself. He connects it to the power of the Word of God. The Word of God changed Europe. The Word of God then spread and started changing different parts of the world. If, is, if you look at American history, you could even see and trace it to the, back to the fact that we were birthed, in a sense, out of the Protestant Reformation. The Word of God changed the world. Luther, commenting on the Reformation, said this, I opposed indulgences and all papists 
So I had a problem with the indulgences and the popes, but never by force. Luther didn't raise up an army. I simply taught, preached, wrote God's Word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And then while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my Philip of Amsdorf, the Word so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor did such damage to it. I did nothing. The Word did it all. That's why the, the motto, looking back on the Reformation, the motto given to the Reformation was post tenebrox Luke, after, Luke's after darkness, light. After a time of darkness, there's light. That could really be the story of all of you who are in Christ. There's a time when there was darkness, and then the Word of God, specifically the gospel of God came, and there was light. That's really all of our story. And this is the way that God has sought to change the world. Think about the darkness that covered the face of the earth in Genesis 1 and 2, and then He speaks and light comes. God does the same thing with His Word spiritually. There's darkness, He speaks, and light comes, information comes, salvation comes. Well, here in 1 Samuel 3, this is a story of after darkness, light This is the story of the Word of God coming again to Israel. It had been dark for a long time, and now the Word of God comes back to Israel. God graciously begins speaking, and He's going to do so through a man named Samuel, the man that we've been studying for a couple weeks now, who's been a boy, and now we see him growing up. God's going to speak His Word through this man. Now, I'll remind you, Samuel's written in the context of the era, the era of the judges when there was no leadership in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I said Israel, not America. Okay. That's the context here. There's no leadership and everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. And do you think that that's going to go well for the nation? No, it doesn't go well for the nation. Read the book of Judges. It's a horrible place under that type of environment. But God, because He is gracious, speaks. Never forget that the fact that God speaks, the fact that you have the pages of Scripture is because God is gracious. God doesn't owe you an explanation of how He works. He doesn't owe you an explanation of who He is. He doesn't owe you any of that, but He is good and wants you to know who He is, what He desires, what He's like, the promises that you have. God's Word comes to us because He's gracious. So Samuel's going to start preaching the Word. Samuel's going to start taking the Word from God and bringing it to the people. What is that ministry going to look like? What's going to characterize that ministry? That ministry of the Word, what will it look like? So this morning, three features of the proclamation of God's Word. We see this here in Samuel's day and age. It can be connected to our day and age. Three features of the proclamation of God's Word. The first is this, the first feature. The proclamation of God's Word is rare. Proclamation of God's Word is rare, unusual, not common. You see this right away in verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the Word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. We oftentimes think of the Old Testament times as times of great miracles, great visions, lots of preaching, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, prophets. But, but you need to understand that 
those people speaking for God spoke at different segments in Israel's history. Not all of Israel's history was full of the Word of God. It wasn't full of God speaking to the nation. And that was a problem. God determines here in the middle of a dark era to speak again. Again, He's gracious. The nation doesn't deserve Him to speak, but He speaks again. So this is the context of how the Word is going to come to the people of Israel. It's rare in those days. No frequent vision. Look, fast forward if you will, down to chapter 4 verse 1. So we start with the Word of the Lord is rare. We're going to end this morning by looking at this in chapter 4 verse 1. And the Word of Samuel came to all of Israel. And we're going to learn that that Word of Samuel is the Word from the Lord and it went out to all Israel. So we start off this passage seeing the Word of the Lord is rare. And then we're going to see that the word of the Lord is actually spreading all throughout Israel, and it's going to spread with some power. It's anointed, if you will. Samuel is anointed to spread this message from God. doesn't mean the people are going to respond all the time to it, but Samuel is the empowered messenger of God for this word. Verse 2 of chapter 3, at that time Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So here's the context, okay? In the whole nation, the word of the Lord is rare. And then we learn about Eli, the one who is serving, in a sense, as Samuel's stepfather. He's raising Samuel. Eli is there at the temple, and Eli's eyesight is growing dim. It's really interesting that the writer of 1 Samuel tells us that. His eyesight's growing dim, and the lamp of God, that this torch in this tabernacle temple area at Shiloh, is shining, but it's, it, it had not yet gone out. That language is showing us that this torch, this is nighttime. The torch had not yet gone out. The, the idea is that it may be about to. Now, this torch was to be set up in this tabernacle, and it was meant to stay lit all the time. It was not supposed to go out. So, one of Samuel's tasks would have been that as the torch would be going out, that he would he would extend the wick. He would make sure that the, the torch continued to flame. This, this is what would happen each night in the tabernacle. I say tabernacle slash temple because we're not exactly sure of the whole structure at Shiloh. But this tabernacle slash temple had this torch. It was meant to stay, stay lit all the time. And so it was getting to where nighttime was, to where the torch would start to falter, but then Samuel would make sure that it stayed lit. But you notice Eli's eyesight's growing dim. The torch has not yet gone out. There's this idea that there's not a lot happening or things aren't looking good. But then we realize in verse 4 that God's going to speak. So it's almost setting us up for this idea that Eli's eyesight's poor, the torch hasn't gone out yet, but but then God's going to speak. Verse 4, then the Lord called Samuel and said, here I Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But he, Eli, said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down, and the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. 
So God hasn't spoken to Samuel yet. We've been learning in the first couple chapters that Samuel's going to be devoted to the Lord, dedicated to the Lord. He's going to take the Nazarite vow and be completely set apart for service to the Lord all the days of his life. He's evidently, he's evidently doing things in the temple, doing some, some temple responsibilities, but he doesn't yet know the Lord. The Lord hasn't revealed himself to Samuel yet. So he, he's a church kid growing up in the church, if you will, but hasn't yet come to know the Lord. Well, here the Lord is calling, and he calls twice, and Samuel thinks it's Eli. So Samuel goes to Eli. Eli says, it's not me. And we realize why Samuel didn't understand that it was Yahweh, verse 7. He didn't know didn't yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Verse 8, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now here's a fourth time. Verse 10, and the Lord came and stood. This is different now. What that look like when the Lord came and stood? I don't know. But he came and stood, calling as at other times. And here's what he said, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Ten times in the scriptures, the Lord speaks to someone with their name twice. Every time, it's hugely important. Moses, Moses. Saul, Saul. Here, Samuel, Samuel. This is a big deal. This isn't normal in that era. Notice back in verse 3, by the way, that Samuel is lying down where the ark of God was. The ark of God is, is a representation for where he dwells. For years, priests had slept near the ark of God, not, not in the immediate holy, of holies, but nearby where the ark of God was, because the idea was, if God's going to speak to his people, it's going to come from this room, and he's going to address his people. So they'd sleep near the ark of God, awaiting for God to speak. Tell us who you are. Tell us what you want to do. Tell, tell us how you're going to save us. Speak to us. They wanted to hear from the Lord. Well, evidently, time has gone by, and there's no speaking coming from this place. But here, the Lord came and stood, calling, as at other times, and he said, Samuel, Samuel, and notice what Samuel said. He did what Eli told him to say. He said, speak for your servant hears. Now, the thing to notice is that we're being set up here to see that this is a rare thing happening. This is after darkness, light is coming. The idea that God is speaking is meant to, for us to go, we've read Judges. We know how this thing is going. But all of a sudden, God interrupts the story, and I'm going to say something. I've got something to say. I'm going to lead my people by my word. This is an exciting time here in the history of Israel. This is an important time. God's invading darkness with his word. He's invading darkness with his word. But we know that the word of the Lord is rare, has been rare up until this point. And if, we're, if we understand biblical history and also just even contemporary history, we learn that the Word of God is all too often rare, isn't it? The Word of God is all too often rare. In fact, the Word of God being rare is an act of judgment from God. In Amos 8, the, the nation is wealthy. The nation has everything they need. But they don't respond to God's Word. And so in Amos 8, 11, he says, there's going to be a famine not of food, 
there's going to be a famine of the Word of God. You're going to want the Word and it's not going to be there. It's a form of judgment. All throughout the history of the world, God has given His Word. People have responded for a time and then rejected it and then gone through long periods where the Word of God isn't around. I mean, you even look at today. There's a reason I grew up going to two churches, mainly two churches as a young boy, where the Word of God was not taught. The Word of God was referred to, but it wasn't taught. I did not know the Word of God. I, I went to those churches from, from the, the cradle to 18 years old and did not understand the Word of God. Now, I, my own sin was a problem there. I get that. But I went, I went to churches where the Word of God was not taught, was not preached. You know what they had? They had large crowds of people, and they would do wonderful Fourth of July celebrations. And I say that kind of sarcastically, but with sadness too, but the Word of God was not taught. I didn't know God. Again, the Word of God was referred to, but it wasn't taught. It's interesting that John Wycliffe did what he did, and we have people today, and I, I don't like doing this type of thing, we have people today that will not teach this Word, will not explain it. It's literally set to one side of the stage, and they'll start the service by reading from it, and then it stays there silent while they just talk about what they want to talk about. The Word of the Lord is, as I've said before, often referred to today in churches, but not as common is it preached, is it declared, is it explained. Now, by God's grace, there are thousands and thousands of churches preaching the Word of God today. There are many, many that don't. Even in the last 15, 20 years, we've seen a resurgence of Bible preaching. People, I think with good intentions, but wrongly said when, when we first got to Prescott, oh, there's no church that teaches the Word of God. Well, we've looked around. Yes, there are churches that faithfully teach the Word of God in the Quad Cities. Praise the Lord. You know why that is? Because God's gracious. But there aren't enough. There aren't enough. It's too rare. So God has graciously spoken His Word, but still His Word is too rare. Again, it's referred to, it's even lauded verbally, but not relied upon <clears throat> as the main meal of the Lord's day. It's not depended on, it's not explained. We know that this is the case, and, and again, as I've told you before, the problems with the nation in 1 Samuel 3 are the same problems that we go through today as the people of God. In fact, Paul told Timothy this. He said, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The Word of God is often rare, too rare in human history. It's too rare today. Is it here? Is it being proclaimed? Yes. Again, you can highlight thousands of places where the Word of God is, is, is proclaimed, preached, taught, heralded, but there are still too many places where it's too rare. I think a helpful application for us is really to take the application for what Samuel says in verse 10, speak because your servant hears. That's not just, um, that's not just something that that Samuel's saying to 
to be respectful. He evidently was ready to listen to God. I think it's helpful for us, for our hearts to say, Lord, speak, your servant hears. Again, we, we give lip service to the fact that we're a, we're a Bible-loving people, but from your heart is your heart saying today, Lord, speak, your servant is listening. You are master, you speak, and I want to respond to what you say. It's a good application for us this morning. There's a second feature of the proclamation of God's Word. Proclamation of God's Word is rare, but also the proclamation of God's Word is difficult. Sometimes to proclaim what God has said is not easy to do. God speaks, and sometimes His words comfort, and sometimes they rebuke. And when we're called to bring forth His Word to others in our lives, to bring forth a rebuke, it's rather difficult. And Samuel knows that. The first thing that God is going to speak to Samuel is difficult news. Verse 11, then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, listen, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house. That was what we looked at last week, judgment, from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. I mean, imagine being Samuel. God hasn't spoken audibly for a long time. He's never heard it. And so Samuel hears his voice and says, okay, now now I get it. Eli's telling me that this is probably Yahweh. Yahweh, speak. I'm listening. And then this. Hey, what I said through a man of God to Eli back then, I'm going to actually do. My judgment is coming on this man and his sons, his house. Samuel, lay until morning. So he hears that in the middle of the night, goes back to bed with that news. Samuel, lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Many of you have been there. There's a person that you love and truth needs to be brought to them. And how much do you think about that upcoming conversation? You stay awake at night. You're praying. You think, maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe the Spirit can just kind of take it without using me. We've been there. It's not easy. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. And then this threat of a curse. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Samuel was faithful to speak the word of the Lord even when it wasn't comfortable even when it meant warning and even judgment. And Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good. First, good response from Eli that we've seen. But I want you to see here, this is highlighting the fact that when people speak the word of God, people speak on behalf of God, it's not always an easy thing to do. 
Jesus came and warned people, right? Isaiah said, here I am, send me. A lot like Samuel's, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. Isaiah, here I am, send me. Okay, go proclaim, and they're not going to listen. Yikes. Speaking God's word isn't always easy, and it's often difficult. And that's not just for preachers and prophets, it's for Christians. Again, you know this. The ministry of rebuke is a ministry for people in the pews, not just preachers. And it's not easy to have that ministry. It's not easy to be a people of the Word seeking to pass that Word on. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 7. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he writes them some good news in the letter, but he writes them a lot of bad news. He's got to correct them. And evidently, we see in 2 Corinthians, he's been correcting them for a while. He corrected them in some previous letters as well. We have one of them, 1 Corinthians. Paul says this, even if I made you grieve with my letter, I don't regret it. And then this, though I did regret it. So, I had to write to you some hard things, and I don't regret that. I did regret it. I didn't want to do it. It's not fun to do. Even if I made you grieve with my letter, I don't regret it, though I did regret it, because I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not that you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. So I I was grieving that I had to send the letter. I don't grieve now because I know what's happened with that. You grieved for a time, but now you no longer grieve because you were grieved into repenting. So Paul's just highlighting the difficulty of speaking the truth to even some brothers and sisters who are in error. It's not a fun thing to do. But when the Word does its work and when people are grieved into repenting, I don't grieve over that. I praise the Lord for that. But still, back then, when I was speaking it, it wasn't an easy thing to do. It's not a fun part of the Christian life. It is a necessary part of the Christian life. It's not an easy part of the Christian life. So I say this, be careful of calling yourself a Christ follower and of refusing to ever say anything hard to anybody else. Be careful of that. Be careful of living in a way where you avoid to have, where you avoid having to correct people. There's a way to do that. This isn't the time and place for that. There's a way to do that. You can actually see the Peacemaker book that Jason referred to. It talks about how to use the ministry of rebuke in a biblical way. So be careful of living in a way where you avoid having to correct people. But let me also give this note. Be careful of also living in a way, living in a certain way where you love to correct people. Be careful of both. You can fall off both cliffs, okay? So be careful of being the person who always avoids saying something that needs to be said. The Lord may be working through you to help a brother or sister. But also be careful of being the one that thinks that you've got the the ministry of rebuke that everyone needs to hear your evaluation of their life. Be careful. Use wisdom. I think there's encouragement to take from Samuel here and also from Eli. Samuel embraces the difficulty of correcting with the Word. He actually speaks what God told him to say. He, he preaches the Word in season and out of season, if you will. Whether it was going to be easy for Eli to hear or whether it wasn't going to be easy 
for Eli to hear. Samuel brings the word. Again, Christians are called to admonish one another in Colossians 3. So realize when the Lord is calling you to faithful obedience in that regard and do it with truth and do it with grace, just like our Lord. But also, I think there's something to learn from Eli here. Eli said, let him do what seems good. It's quite a statement. I think this is a helpful thing for us to see. It's helpful for us to see someone positively positively responding to God's difficult word. Positively responding to God's difficult word. If this was us and Samuel said this to Eli, in our flesh we might say, who are you, Samuel, to speak for God? You ever done that to someone who tries to bring you truth? No, no, this is between me and God, not me and you. Well, do you know that God uses other people to bring truth? So be careful there. Eli positively responds to Samuel's correction. He doesn't shoot the messenger, if you will. He doesn't attack Samuel, which we can do when someone brings us a correction. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't try to run and hide. In fact, when he calls to Samuel, he says, tell me everything he said. He doesn't say, just tell me the good parts. Eli doesn't say, I'm going to go find a preacher, Samuel, who only tells me good news, things that are easy for me to hear. He says to Samuel to say everything. Tell me what God said. Then he says, let him do what seems good to him. Positively positively respond to God's difficult words. Friends, we... We hold the Bible high here, don't we? We do. We love it. We love the Word. There can be, in conservative Bible-teaching churches, a, a, a nod to the Scriptures. Yes, we hold it high. Yes, preach the Word. But then when someone brings us a corrective word from God's Word, we balk at that. If we're going to hold the Word high, we're going to hold the Word high. If we're going to say we submit to the Word, we need to submit to the Word. But here's the good news. Our God's a gracious speaker. Our God speaks truth, and He does so with compassion and care for His people. His Word is life to us if we will heed it. So, if you may be one of those people who tips your hat to the Word of of God, tips your hat to preaching, to expository preaching, tips your hat to the ministries that hold the word high, but then you're very hard to correct with the word, I'd encourage you to find some consistency there. Give give your heart to the word of God when it corrects and when it comforts. Give your heart to the word. So the proclamation of God's word is rare. The proclamation of God's word is difficult. And finally, the proclamation of God's word is empowered. He's going to work through Samuel. He's going to do something through Samuel. He's going to send his word to Samuel and through Samuel to the nation. His word comes with power. God intentionally plans to use his representative, Samuel, to reveal his word. Verse 19, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. That's such a great statement. What that's teaching is when Samuel said something, it came to pass. 
I, I think of when during uh, the height of our quarantine time a couple years ago, uh, my boys and I went out to a park and we did a paper airplane contest. Let's, okay, we're going to stay socially distanced. We're going to go away, fi- find an open place out in Prescott. And, and we did a paper airplane contest. We, we all made a plane and, and it was time to fly them. And some of those things just sailed as if they didn't even hit the ground. Some of those things hit the ground real fast. I mean, a rock wouldn't have hit the ground that fast. They're just, just psh, dead. <clears throat> I think of that because those ones that just took off and kept going, they achieved their purpose. They did what they set out to do. That's the language here. God was going to make sure that none of Samuel's words fell to the ground. When Samuel spoke, it was going to come to pass. When Samuel spoke, God was going to use that word to do something in the nation. This is the highlight here. God's going to speak again through this man. God's raising up a prophet, Samuel, so needed to the nation at that time. Verse 20, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, from the north to the south, from Minnesota to Texas, all the nation of Israel knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. Everyone knew. The thing about the judges is that they often spoke regionally. So this is a difference. The era of the judges, they would speak regionally and help a group of people here, there, over there. Here, Samuel is going to be the speaker, the prophet for the nation. And the people knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. They saw him as a prophet of the Lord. Sometimes they'll respond to him rightly, and we'll see later on, sometimes they won't always respond to him rightly. But they knew that he was from the Lord. He came with power. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. This is, again, you read those words, and if you know the context, know the history, which I've told you about, you see grace here. God again spoke. God again spoke to his people from Shiloh. How did he speak? Through Samuel. The word of the Lord was revealed. He revealed himself to Samuel. How did he reveal himself to Samuel? By his word, by the word of the Lord. And that word of the Lord became the word of Samuel. You couldn't divorce the two. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. The proclamation of God's word is empowered. Listen, God determines to speak through people. There are occurrences in the scripture where he speaks directly, audibly to people, like Samuel here. But don't miss this. He speaks audibly to Samuel so that Samuel would then tell the nation. Normally, God speaks through people. We know that Timothy had the Word of God spoken to him by his mother and grandmother. We know that Ephesians 4 says that pastors and teachers are gifts to the church. God, the Holy Spirit, gives those gifts to the church to speak. Again, we know that we're to let the Word of God dwell in us, all of us church members, richly speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. God speaks through people. That's how He determines to do it. In today's day and age, people talk a lot about, I want to hear what God wants me to do. I want to, well, here's how he does it. He speaks through people that have written things down. He speaks his perfect word to people, and he even speaks this word through people around us. 
We speak this word to one another, and that's God speaking to us. That's how He's designed it. He, he uses that type of system in powerful ways, the ministry of speaking the word to one another. Now, as I've told you, this is a dark time in Israel's history. This wouldn't be the last time they went through a period of darkness or famine in the land of the Word of God, if you will. Even after this time, we, we see this time as like, oh, we're getting to a high point. The Word of God is going to do its work in Israel. But I want you to know, another low point came. In fact, after the Ma- prophet Malachi spoke to the people, there was about 400 years where they didn't have any revelation from God. 400 years. I mean, imagine going a lifetime without this. No prophet, no vision, no nothing. 400 years without hearing from God. And then a baby cried. And then Jesus came to earth to make God known. What a beautiful thing the incarnation was. And and I'll just remind you, it didn't come as there were a bunch of faithful preachers and prophets around. It came in a period of darkness, and God came to earth as a child and then grew up, and He learned in a way that any boy would learn. And then around 30 years old, He started preaching, and His message was, repent and believe. The kingdom of God is here. Turn from your sin. Follow me. And he spoke of his father and bringing people to his father. Why did Jesus come preaching? Why did he come as a speaker? Why did he come as a teacher? The reason? Because God is gracious. And Jesus came and spoke. That's why we started our service with Hebrews 1. In many other times, he spoke through the prophets. Now, he's spoken to us in his son. And in John 14 and 16, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come to the apostles and they would write down the things that the Spirit was giving to them and they would write down Jesus' words, God's thoughts, and those words would be inspired for the people of God. So when we have even the New Testament, it's the word of Jesus to us, either from His actual lips, the red letters, or from His Spirit through the prophets, still His words. He's spoken to us in that way. Why? Because God's gracious. Jesus came and He said this, I'm the bread of life. He he spoke about His own power. So let me ask you, do you you need sustenance spiritually? Do you need to be sustained? Do you need to thrive and grow spiritually? Jesus said, He's your bread of life. He said, he's, He's the light of the world. Do you need guidance? You're in a difficult time, difficult time with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends, with your neighbors, whoever it might be, difficult time at work. Do you need guidance? Jesus said that He's the light of the world. Do you need safety and security? Jesus said He's the door of the sheep. Do you need eternal life? He said that He's the resurrection and the life. Do you need your soul to be cared for? Do you need your soul to be guided? He says that He's the good shepherd. Do you need to know, not what the algorithm on Facebook says, not what your neighbor says, not what CNN tells you, do you need to know what's real? He says He's the way, the truth, which means reality, and He's the life. You need Christ, the Word of God. Christ is called the Word of God. 
Do you need the power to live a fruitful life? Jesus says that he is the vine, the true vine. It's interesting that when Jesus comes, John, his best friend, refers to him as the Word of God. So here we see the Word of God coming to Samuel, coming to a people that don't deserve it. And 2,000 years ago, we see the Word of God, capital W, come to the earth, an earth that doesn't deserve Him, but God comes and speaks to a people because He's gracious. When Christ came to speak His Word, He promised that it would be powerful. It would accomplish His purposes. So Christian, I, I go through this chapter, and my prayer for you is that you would be thankful for the Word, that you would take the Word in, You wouldn't just, again, you wouldn't just say, I'm part of Canyon Bible Church. I listen to this Bible teacher. Who cares? Do you take it in? Are you chewing on it? Blessed is the one who meditates on the Word, Psalm 1, not has a copy of it or 12. Blessed is the one who meditates on the Word. We're called to desire the Word, Not not just say that we like it to meditate on it, to desire it. Isaiah 66, blessed is the one who trembles at my word. It's not just that we say, yes, the Bible is the word of God. I get an A. No, no, no. Do you take it in? Do you love it? Do you relish it? Do you see it as a gift of God because of his grace? Let me, let me, let me pose a riddle to you, okay? Here's a riddle. What's it called when you attend a Bible teaching church? I'll give you the answer too, okay? A good start. It's just a start. A lot of people go to hell from Bible-believing churches. Just sitting here doesn't mean anything. Do you believe from your heart what God has said? Do you depend on it when it corrects do you let it correct? When, it brings, when it's trying to bring you some encouragement, do you say, no, 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 I just can't believe that that's, that's, that's a promise for me? No, no, no. Believe the promises that your God lovingly gives you. Believe it. Trust it. So, sitting in a Bible teaching church means nothing if you won't believe God's gracious word to you. Believe His promises. Believe what He tells you. Trust what he says. Meditate on that. Think of that. Maybe to hammer this home, I've recently heard of a church that they will do a scripture reading, but before they do the scripture reading, they will they will call the people to just be completely silent. Just complete silence. And they won't say, okay, the Apostle Paul writes to us in 2 Corinthians, they they won't even introduce it. They won't say Psalm 50, they won't do any of that. Silence, and then they speak God's Word. And they're trying to communicate the idea that, listen, we're just a people in silence. We're a people in darkness until God starts talking. And God, when God starts talking, He does so because He's gracious. So, quiet. 
And then listen to these words. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear so that your soul may live. Let's pray together. Lord, when you speak, it's because you are gracious and merciful and kind. Father, the people of Israel did not deserve your words, and neither do we. But they got them, and we receive them. Father, we praise you for the faithful grandmothers in our life that spoke the word of God to us. We praise you for faithful Sunday school teachers and teachers in elementary school and high school. We praise you for faithful youth pastors and youth leaders. We praise you for faithful brothers and sisters in the church who have taught us your word. We praise you for faithful pastors and elders in our lives who have taught us your word. Father, ultimately, we praise you for your son who came preaching to a world that had rejected you. Thank you for your word. Make us a people who submit to your word, not just, not just in what we say we do, but in where our heart really does submit to your word. Help us to be a people who tremble at it, take it seriously, rely on it, believe it. Father, there are people here in this room who can't believe your promises right now. The, the difficulty of life has thrown them around to where they don't trust your care for them. I pray that you would let that word, your word, penetrate their heart. There are some here who are hardened in their heart to your ways, your will, your desires. They are kicking against you while saying they are Bible people. Penetrate their heart. Your word's powerful. Father, ultimately, give us a comfort from responding to what you say. Reprove us, rebuke us, exhort us, encourage us, guide us, teach us, shepherd us. Jesus Christ, we pray this in your name. Amen.